You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. We are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians we come this morning to a very unique and interesting portion of uh, the scripture. I brought a picture with me this morning. Well, before I get to that, let me just say that when we started this, we started with five critical questions that we wanted to frame the discussion, the discovery that we were going to be going through in 1 Corinthians. And I want to read those five questions to you again. We did not put them in the handout this week. That was my mistake. But here are the five questions. How does my commitment to Jesus Christ affect the people around me and those who know me? Question number two. Are people who know me more attracted to Jesus or more confused about what it means to be a Christian because of my life in front of me. Question number three, how much should we allow the world and its culture to affect the way that we believe and act? Question four, how much of Scripture informs the way that we treat one another? We interact with one another and raise our children, spend our money, or etc. Question number five. When scripture conflicts with modern thought and ideas, how do I most often respond? If I have to choose between what I feel and what the Bible says, how am I likely to respond to that? Let's bow our heads to pray this morning. God, I thank you for your word. It's, it's such a powerful, powerful book. And Lord, every week I continue to be encouraged that you are speaking to Lake Erie Church through this letter to the Corinthians. And I pray today, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to do an encouraging work in this house today. I pray that you would speak by your word to the need of every person. I know that you chose by the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. I feel that responsibility today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to do my best for your people and for this moment in the kingdom. We give you glory and honor and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are just catching up, or maybe this is your first Sunday, we are spending the summer looking at the letter of 1 Corinthians. We provide a handout every week. And uh, if you don't have the previous week handouts, you can go back to our website. I believe they are present there. Somebody in the media team can help me. I think they're present there. And uh, you can download those handouts so that you can follow along as you read 
uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. There's only 16 chapters. It takes less than an hour uh, to read the book. But basically, in, in a nutshell, the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul addressing the questions that the 1 Corinthian church, was, this Corinthian church was asking about what it's like to live in a world where you're trying to serve God, but the culture is so adverse to what you believe about God or what you're being taught. And in a nutshell, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians is. As you go through, you're going to see the people wrestling with the cultural issues of how do I live out my faith in a world that is more and more less Christian. I told you in the very first week that this this letter speaks to Lake Erie Church specifically because so many of the things that they're talking about are things that we ought to be talking about or are things that we are dealing with in our own culture. You heard Andrew say a moment ago, when you live around people that don't serve the Lord, when you're with friends who don't believe in God and you you heard Nevaeh talking about young ladies that went to camp who who said they did not believe in God. And this is the culture where we're going. So if we are the light of the world, the Bible says that we are, if we are to be the salt of the earth, then we need to know how to live our faith out in this culture and cause men and women to want to know about Jesus. And that's what 1 Corinthians is really all about. This chapter 3 is a is a broad chapter, and we won't get all of the context of all the stuff in chapter 3, but we're going to get one of the most important parts. I brought a friend with me, a little girl from our church. This is, this is uh, Rebecca Gollenberkey. She is the daughter of our children's pastor, and, uh, and I love the passion of this child. If you have spent any time around Rebecca, you know that Rebecca loves life, and she loves life the way she wants it. I love, I love her passion for Band-Aids, too, by the way. If you notice, I ask for a picture with Band-Aids because every day when Rebecca shows up for Generations Matters Learning Center, she's got between one, five, and nine Band-Aids on. And they all represent, if you ask her, they represent a boo-boo uh, that, that she has. But, but what, the reason I wanted you to see uh, uh, Rebecca is that as I was preparing this, I thought about how amusing it is to me to watch Steve and Naomi negotiate with Rebecca. Now, she's just two. And I've already been through the terrible twos with my own children. And those of you that have raised children understand what we're saying but Rebecca knows the world that she wants. And it becomes at times a negotiation which is so amusing to watch. When, uh, when they will say to me, oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. Rebecca's out of control. I said, no, she's not out of control. She's learning her boundaries, as are you learning Rebecca's boundaries. And you're getting used to that. And when I thought about that, I, I thought about how exasperated God must get, at times, in dealing with me the way that parents deal with their children. Now, I know some of you are so holy, you never give God any problem. But I'm sure God has uh, some issues around me. Some of those issues that I listed that I was willing to say publicly is that 
that I am prone to want my way. Shelly, if she were here, she would want a few minutes of rebuttal. But she would say that pastor is very stubborn about his way. I have a tendency at times to argue with God. Do you argue with God? I have a tendency to push back and argue with God. I, I did that a day or two ago. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure what you're doing here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I have a tendency at times to give immature responses to spiritual moments. I'm a little bit like Peter up on top of that mountain when Jesus was standing there and uh, uh, he was transfigured with Elijah and Moses. And Peter's watching this, this incredibly holy, sacred, spiritual moment. And Peter says, I got an idea. Why don't we build a building? You, you, I, don't, I wasn't there, but you have to almost feel like Jesus went, really? That, that's what you're getting out of this moment right here? You want to build a building? It's this idea that sometimes I give God very immature responses to great spiritual moments. And so I'm so grateful this morning. I'm grateful that God is patient. And I'm grateful that God is good and that He is continually committed to helping me grow my faith and get better. And I personally am grateful that God has not given up on me yet. Anybody feel that way? I'm not sure if the rest of you are. You realize you're in church, right? This fall, we are sending all of our senior staff uh, with their teams, we are asking them to visit another church that is exceptional at what they are trying to do here at Lake Erie. So the worship and fine arts team will visit another church which is exceptional uh, in their particular worship, fine arts kind of approach so that it gives our people a second look, a, a, another opportunity to, to see. They get to see that church in that context and, and they'll bring back the ideas that will work in this context and hopefully just make them that much better. Same with student ministry, same with children's ministry, same with our first impressions team. But, and I think about that's exactly what you and I are getting to do this summer. We are taking a look at the church at Corinth. We're looking at it from the outside. We're looking in and we're seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God is giving us the opportunity to learn. In fact, later on in chapter 10, Paul is going to tell the church at Corinth, he said, these things that were written down have been written down for your encouragement. They were recorded so that you would get better. You would be encouraged by what you see. And I think that's what God is doing here. He's letting us look at this church to say you can be a better church. You can be more responsive. You can live out your faith in a hostile world. You can be a shining example, a city on a hill. And he's showing us through this letter how to do that. Now I'd just like to stop long enough to say I'm so thankful God's not doing that anymore. What I mean by that is looking at us and then writing a book about it so everybody can read about all of our mess. But that's what 1 Corinthians is. God wrote the book so that you'd be able to see this is what's going on in this church and hopefully you're going to get better at what you do. 
Now, we've already established that there's a lot of immaturity in the Corinthian church. They're a very immature group. They are full of people who've just come to faith. Now, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, about five years had passed. So they've been going now for a while. But the church is full of people who've come out of the world and into faith. And they're still learning how to live out their faith and walk out their faith with God. But there were people, not everybody, but there were people at Corinth that Paul's frustrated with them. Because after all this time, you would think that they would be farther along than they actually are. And Paul is warning them. If you don't correct your behavior, if you don't grow up in the faith, your immaturity is going to prevent you from being everything that God wants you to be for the Lord. You're not going to be able to experience, as we talked about last week, You're not going to be able to experience the deeper things with God. You're not going to be able to go. There's going to be a, there's a lid on your potential, he said, if you don't grow up. Notice that right out of the chute in verse 1, look at what it says. It's on the screen. Paul said, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world Or as though you were infants in the Christian faith. In other words, he says there's this lid on your potential because you've never made the commitment to grow your faith and your relationship with God. In other words, Paul says, you're just satisfied doing things your own way. Now in the first chapters as we've gone through this, we've listened to Paul talk about the difference between human wisdom And godly wisdom, what he's saying is, there's two ways to do life. You can do life your way, or you can do do life God's way. And at the end of the day, the way that you decide that maturity is whether you choose to pursue the way of God or whether you choose to pursue your own way. Whose aims and purposes are you pursuing this morning? In what vein, what lane are you running today? Are you trying to get closer to God? Or are you trying to do more of your own way with your choices and your behavior? And so Paul is talking, remember he's talking to Christians. And he's telling them three very specific things that I want to highlight in this chapter. The first thing he tells them is that I could not talk to you as I would to spiritual people. These were Christians. Followers of Jesus. People who participated in the church. But they lacked a spiritual maturity. A few days ago as I was trying to read through this passage again. And I was reading through the transliteration of another writer. He said that Paul was saying, I could not speak to you as people who are dominated by the Holy Spirit. Dominated by the Holy Spirit. You may say to me, Pastor, what do you mean spiritual people? When Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, what kind of people are you talking about? What does that look like? And I made a short list and I put it in your handout. A spiritual person is a one who has a lifestyle that is dependent on the Holy Spirit over a long period of time. 
A spiritual person is one with the knowledge of the Bible as a lifestyle. In other words, it's not just a book they read. It's a book that they follow. And there's an openness to the truth that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual people are those who are able to teach others about the Bible. Publicly or individually. They have enough knowledge of the book that you could say, I'm having some trouble in my marriage. I'm not sure what to do. And they can say, let me show you what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says about marriage. This is what the Bible says about raising your children. This is what the Bible says about spending your money. This is about, this, this, there's, there's, there's something here that I want to show you from the scripture that will help you deal with your anger issue. Spiritual people have an ability to teach about the Bible. It doesn't necessarily mean they're preachers. But it means that the Word of God is ingrained in their life in such a way that they can quickly refer you to something that the Bible says that can help you. Spiritual people possess a spiritual insight that checks everything by the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about this? A spiritual person is going to first consult the Word of God and then look at the other parameters of a decision. A spiritual person will be mature enough to deal with sin and failure in other people. When you find a truly spiritual person, Paul said in the book of Galatians, he says if you find a brother who has fallen to sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. There's a maturity about a spiritual person that allows them to graciously take a brother and sister and walk them out of their sin and walk them out of their failure and restore them to fellowship. A spiritual person views life from a divine viewpoint. They're not hyper-reactive to everything, but they see the hand of God. They see the sovereign plan of God at work in every situation. Not that I would make light of what I've just said, but I get a lot of teasing in the church by this phrase, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. When people talk to me, many times I will tell them, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Because there's a sense in my heart that there is nothing going on with you or I that God isn't aware of. And that God is not in charge of this world. And that if we submit ourselves to Him, if we trust in Him, He helps us navigate the difficult places of life. Then Paul goes on. He said, not only could I not talk to you as spiritual people, but I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. Or as though you were infants in Christ. Now, let's take a second and look at that phrase, as though you belonged to the world. Paul says, listen, when I was talking to you, I had to, I had to talk to you like somebody that belonged to the world. Now, again, I remind you that these are Christians. And Paul says, your behavior reminds me of people that belong to the world. Listen to me. Jesus did not save you and I so that we would look, think, and act like people that were not saved. He saved us to be witnesses of the world that in a different way of life 
So that when people in the world see us as believers, they see a different way of life. These believers in Corinth were going out into their jobs and their places of the world. And Paul says the world can't tell any difference between you and other unbelievers. Your behavior is just like you belong to the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, one of my favorite passages of scripture, I believe it's on the screen. He says, you are a chosen generation. Say chosen. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Say peculiar. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're supposed to be peculiar. Now, the word, the word literally means to be different, to be special, to be unique. When the Bible says that we are a peculiar people, he's not saying we wear orange pants and green shirts. That is peculiar. But that's not the kind of peculiar he's talking about. He's saying that there is a uniqueness, a specialness to the believer that is unique from the world. So what does it mean to be a peculiar person in 2023? To be in America, to live in the United States of America and be peculiar. Well, one in six people in America confess that they cheat on their taxes every year. So when you fill out an honest tax return, you're peculiar. 25% of men in America say that they have cheated on their spouse this year. So when you are faithful to your wife, you are peculiar in this world. 75% of people say that they lie between one and two times every day. So when you are honest to your word, when you tell the truth, you are peculiar to the world. I I say this, I'm not, I say this reluctantly because I don't want you to miss my point. And get lost in me talking about myself. But I was in the local, one of the local establishments here just recently buying a few items for our home. And the precious lady was checking me out and we were talking and and I don't know why I got, why I drew attention to this point. But at, at when I got my change and I'd paid for my stuff and I'm packing up my stuff in the cart, I thought, I don't remember her charging me for that watermelon. And so as I I went on out, I thought, well, she probably did. I just didn't notice it. So as I went on out, I looked at the register, and sure enough, there was no watermelon on the register. Okay. Now, here's the dilemma. There are people who would say, that's tough. She should have done her job. I just got a free watermelon. Don't raise your hand if that's the way you feel. 
but my witness is worth more than a watermelon. I turned around and I went back in and I said to the lady, I said, I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't think you charged me for the watermelon. She said, I think I did. I said, I don't think you did. And I gave her the receipt. And she looked at, well, you know what happened? In just a moment, her supervisor walks over. Is there a problem? I said, no, no, there's not a problem. This woman has done a fantastic job. I just realized I did not pay her for this watermelon. She said, do you want the watermelon? I said, I do. I said, so I need to pay you for the watermelon. And the supervisor said, why didn't you just go on? That's what most people do. You get my point? And so I said to her, I would never steal your watermelon. Now, I did not tell her I was a pastor, and I did not even play the Christian card. I just said, I would never steal your watermelon. You see, that's what being peculiar is. It means that you live by a standard of life that is contrary to the world, and that contrarism, that contrariness in the sense that it's different, sets you apart, which leads to the question, why would you not steal the watermelon? Why would you not do that? Because I want to be honest, because that's what a believer is, is honest. And Peter says in his letter to the church he was writing to, he said, listen, people are going to ask you why you do this. And you should be ready to tell them the hope that is in your heart. It's not just a watermelon. It's not just five or six dollars or whatever it was. It's the fact that I want to be a person who has that relationship with God that is evidenced in the way I treat my fellow man. And everything that you do and all the details of your life, God wants you to be a person who is identified with Him. He goes on to say, for you are controlled by a sinful nature. Now remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to agnostics. He's talking to Christians. He said, you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Now, sit up straight in your chair and hold on to the sides because some of you are going to fall out in a moment. Christian people are not supposed to sin. It's not their nature. They have been forgiven and they are no longer characterized by sin. It's not our lifestyle anymore. That used to be our day. In the day when we did not know Christ, we did all of these sinful things. It no longer represents who we are and our nature as a believer. We are transformed by the power of the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all iniquity. But we are still human. We're still human. And when a Christian sins, their sin is just as sinful as the sin of an unbeliever. I think I'll say that again. When a Christian sins, 
their sin is just as sinful as the sin of an unbeliever. Because sin is sin. Whether it's committed by a person that goes to Lake Erie Church or it's committed by a person who hates God, it's still sin. And Paul says you folks are still controlled. Some of you are still controlled by a sinful nature. And so as I'm, I'm just working through this in my mind days ago, I'm thinking that when a Christian sins... He or she is practically unspiritual. They're practically unspiritual because they're living on the same spiritual level as people who are unbelievers. And Paul said, because of your behavior, because of the way you're carrying on, I have to talk to you the way that I talk to unbelievers. At some point... We have to grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. At some point, we have to grow up. I love when Rebecca Gollenberke wants me to tie her shoe. She'll just come out there and just go, mmm. And the mmm means tie my shoe. And so I love tying her shoe. I love going down on my knee and tying her shoe. But now when she's 20, if she walks up to me and goes, mm, I'm going to say, what's wrong with you? You ought to be tying your own shoes by now. You get my point? There is a point at which we grow up as believers. We grow up because we are pursuing Christ and we are loving Him. We're reading our Bible. We're praying. We're in community with other believers. We're in a small group with others that are helping us to do life together and to grow up and become fully developed believers in a world that needs to see somebody who's got their act together. Because there's a lot of confusion out there about people who claim to be God, godly. They claim to be believers, and yet their, their behavior is no different from any sinner that you know. And it brings a mark on the name of Jesus. It brings a mark on the name of the faith. It makes it difficult to talk to people about Jesus when they say, well, listen... I got this friend and he claims to be a believer and he's just like everybody else. This idea that we should be men and women growing up in the faith. Listen to what Paul says in another place in the book of Hebrews. He says in verse 5, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. You've been coming to church long enough, you ought to be teaching yourself. You ought to know enough about God's Word. You've been serving the Lord long enough, you ought to be the one that's teaching other people how to follow Jesus. Instead, he said, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. He goes on to say, solid food is for those who are mature. Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference 
between right and wrong. Now listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Because I mean this so sincerely and so carefully I speak these words. This room has a lot of people in it who have just come to faith. There's a lot of you sitting here, a lot of you listening to me right now. You have just recently given your heart to the Lord. And when you are a new Christian, when you are a new believer, there's an understandable gap between what you know about God and what you are experiencing and how you're processing faith than say someone like Sister Tyree who's been serving the Lord more than 60 years. Because the experience and the years and the trials and the challenges that she's gone through has matured her faith in a way that she's not going to trip probably on the same things you're going to trip on. And so there must be a commitment on your part as a believer, a new believer, to lean in closely. We talked about this in the follower series. It's more than just saying I'm saved. It's more than just raising your hand. It's about the commitment to walk with Jesus and live the life of a Christian and do the things that you're supposed to do so that you draw close to God and you become mature and developed as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says the behavior of some of the people at Corinth had caused Paul to conclude that you're acting like God never saved you. You're acting like your life was never changed. You're the same person that you were when God saved you. You've never gotten better. You've never gotten stronger. You've never grown up in your faith. The call this morning is to understand that it does matter how you live your life. Anybody that tells you that you can just live any way you want to live as long as you confess to God is leading you down the wrong path. Anybody who tells you you can sign a card or join a church and that covers you and you'll always be saved is leading you down a wrong path. We've, we've quoted it oftentimes and said it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible that people will come to Jesus, he said in the judgment, and they will say, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. That there is a call from God this morning for you and I to understand that we must grow in our faith. We must get stronger. We must do the things that make us stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it does matter how we treat one another. I told you to sit up tight in your seat because, you know, there are some people who claim to be Christians that are some of the most hateful people you'll ever meet. Don't point. Absolutely. I've met some, you have too. They're just hateful. And claim to be a believer. It does matter how we treat each other. When we're mature, we're not talking about one another. We're not putting people down. We're building each other up in faith. It matters how we treat each other. It matters how we treat people. It matters what we say. It matters what we do with our life. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. 
We are no longer slaves to our sin. Diana George, are you in the room? Yeah, right back there. Listen, I love you, sister. Please don't be offended about what I'm going to say, but I just, I want to say this. Someone asked me one time who the lady was in our church that screamed. I said, that's Diana George. He said, well, I've just never, you know, been to a church where anybody screamed. Is she okay? I said, okay. Let me tell you about Diana George. She's been homeless and overcome. She's been abandoned and overcome. She's raised her children and overcome. She's overcome cancer. She's overcome. She's a woman that's got a testimony. And sometimes, sometimes, oh, I feel him. Sometimes when the music is right and the moment is right and the heart is right, she just gets a full heart and she screams at the top of her lungs because something has happened. She's no longer the woman she used to be. She's no longer the person that she used to be. She has been changed by the marvelous grace and power of God. And so I say, scream, sister. Scream for the glory of God. If that's what it means, doesn't mean everybody screams. No, everybody's not a screamer. It was so good to have Brother Perez back this morning. Man. In case you know, his dad's been so sick up there in Syracuse, New York, and he's been having to run back and forth with his sisters and try to take care of his dad. And we need to pray for that situation. But ain't nobody in this church worships like Brother Perez. He's like a little water bug. He just got it going. It just happens. In fact, I tried to get him a moment ago to teach Dustin how to dance, and Dustin started claiming his knees were hurting or something. I don't, I don't know. The expression is, is completely inconsequential. Doesn't matter. But I will tell you this, if he has transformed your life, if he has forgiven you of your sins, if he has changed you from the old person that you were to a new creation in Christ Jesus, there is a gratitude in your heart. There is something that happens in your life that radiates the praise and glory to Almighty God. Let's wrap it up. Let's finish. And I want to finish with this very simple thought. That there is, a, there is a genuine humility that comes out of Paul in the latter part of this passage that Rachel read to us. And I want to show you two statements and then we'll, we'll be finished. Come on, Pastor Jerome. First thing he said was, we are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work. That God gave us. Spoken by a man who's dealing with a church that is so caught up in the personality of who the preacher was when they got saved. I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of Peter. I'm a disciple of Paul. And Paul said, what difference does it make? 
It's never about me. It's never about us. It is always about Jesus. When you could come to a place in your life where you don't have to have glory, you don't have to have praise, you don't have to have people bragging on you, and you can say the glory belongs to God. That's a growing up moment there. And you know why that's important? Because again, this church is caught up in this because that's the world that they're coming out of. Corinth was known as a place of self-promotion, networking, making sure people notice me. Doesn't that sound a lot like the world where you and I are living today? Look at what happens with social media. We're always bragging on ourselves. We're always promoting ourselves. We're always wanting people to notice us. We put on outfits and take pictures and put it on social media because we want people to look at us. We want people to notice us as if there's some insecurity in us that says... I need to be noticed. I need to be known. It's not our best feature. Paul says, I don't want anyone knowing me. He said, in fact, when I came to preach the gospel to you, I came not knowing anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The story of my life, the story of your life, is what Jesus has done. Not what you've done. Not what you've been able to accomplish. But what the Lord has done in you and through you. And that's what happened at Corinth. They were so misinformed about the scriptures that they thought it was about what they were doing. It's about the friends that they have. It's about the people they were networked with. They were, they were a church divided into various cliques because they wanted to have control. Paul said, you're missing the point. We're just servants of the Lord. See if I can illustrate this and we'll be, we'll be done. The end of that stage to this stage right here represents the timeline of all of humanity. So Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden right here. This is the timeline, Garden of Eden, beginning of the earth. Right here, all the way over here is Revelations 22. The old heaven, the old earth have passed away and behold a new heaven, new earth has come to pass. That's the timeline. Thousands of years, thousands of years. Come find your timeline. Come find your dot on that timeline. Come find my dot on that timeline. I'm the 13th pastor of this church, but you can't find us on this line. It's so inconsequential. And this whole line right here, this whole story here is about God who created the heavens and the earth and fulfilled His promise to bring us heaven and bring us to heaven to be with Him. And everything in between has been about Him. And so next week we'll talk a little bit about Paul telling these people, you are shameful the way that you boast about yourselves. Because in boasting about ourselves, it, it means that we don't understand that we never got here by ourselves. 
We're not self-made. We are only here by the mercy and the grace of God. We're only here because God has blessed us so much. It's the story of Him, who He is, what He's done in my life. So all glory belongs to God. This week, in my final preparation, I remembered a song from so many years ago. Shelly loves me to drag out the old songs, but there's an old song that I remember from years ago that was entitled, Will You Love Jesus More? And the words go something like this, Will you love Jesus more after we're gone? Knowing me and spending time with me, has it caused you to know Jesus more? Do you love Him more because of our relationship? Has what we've had in our relationship been such that it's caused you to love Jesus more? Because that's what life is really all about. I don't, I don't understand some things about God. I don't know why God doesn't just take us to heaven the moment that we get saved. That makes a lot of sense to me. You just come and give your heart to the Lord and go straight to heaven. But I think that what God does is He leaves us here so that we can be the shining example to a world that needs to know Him. And they can look back and say, Man, I'm so glad that I knew Kirk. He helped me love Jesus more. so glad that I knew James I'm so glad that I knew Bob their life inspired me to love Jesus more and at the end of your life if you get to the end of your life and you can look back and say by the grace of God I did everything I could to help people see Jesus that's been a good life We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.